Good morning. Guys, what in the world? It is August 1st, and it's a wee bit chilly. I love living in Colorado Springs. What a delightful place. Well, welcome to the house of the Lord. My name is Jonathan Swindle. I'm the worship and executive pastor. And for those of you who are fairly new and may not know, our senior pastors are on the first chunk of their sabbatical, so they are out uh, this week, and then they'll be out next week as well. But we are delighted to have you with us. Oh, you know what, guys? I forgot another introduction, and this is the second time that I've done this. I forgot to introduce our guest worship leader. He, he's here the second time. He's not a guest. This is Aaron Keys. Uh, And as he mentioned, he wrote that last song. Aaron is one of the worship pastors in the greater New Life worship world. Uh, He's actually my oversight. He and Pastor Jade are my oversight. So I'm so grateful to have him with us this morning. Wasn't that song fun? That was fun. He's he's challenging me. Take it up a notch, huh? (laughs) Emerald style. We gotta take it up a notch around here. So Aaron, thank you so much for being with us this morning. That was a blast. He's a fun person and an incredible songwriter. I just, I've been listening to that song for years. Uh, it, it's on a collaborative record, a group called Porter's Gate, I guess that's the group name. And I had no idea that he wrote it until we met this week and he's like, I wanna do this song that I wrote. And I was like, you wrote this? Pretty awesome. So anyways. Um, But welcome if you are new with us. We're at the very end. Next week will be the final installation or final installment of our series from the book of Proverbs primarily. A little bit of Ecclesiastes we're going to have today. It's okay. You can smile. We'll read Ecclesiastes. You don't have to be down. But the weather is with me in that. The weather said it's an Ecclesiastes kind of day. So so we're going to read from Ecclesiastes a bunch today. Uh, But we're in the second to last installment in our series, and we're going to talk about purpose, but really I'm going to talk about work, a little bit about purpose, mostly about work. When they set this up, you know, all of the New Life congregations preach uh, the same messages, but they're not the same content. It was discover your purpose or work. And I latched onto the work part, but apparently creative didn't. They They only got the purpose part. So I'll make sure that I touch a little bit on purpose. So this week when I was preparing, I had, it just kind of came to me out of the blue. I don't normally start with fun stuff or, you know, icebreakers or whatever, but I was reminded of this show. How many of you have seen the show Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe? Have you seen the show? I remember, now I don't know how many seasons. I know that there are a bunch, but when it first came out, I watched season one. And it was amazing to me, every episode, and I think this is the novelty of the show, is that every episode you're going, there's no way people get paid to do that. Or there's no way people choose to do that, right? (laughs) Typically one of the two. And it's amazing to me how much time we spend in our vocation what some people choose to do with that. I mean, there's a number of you out there that cannot believe that anyone would give their life to being an accountant. (laughs) I know because my undergrad was in accounting and every time I told people what I was studying, they're like, you? Really? Cubicle? Then I had a story this week, this weekend, we had to take our son Lucas to the ER and I despise blood. I'm, I'm scared of it. I don't like it. It makes me queasy. 
And the entire time, I'm supposed to be concerned about my son, and I very much was. He's fine, by the way. But I kept thinking, there's blood all around me. I cannot do this. I could never work in an ER. And there, we all have occupations that we think about like that. I mean, here were some of the ones. I looked up all of the different episodes on Dirty Jobs, and I thought this was astounding. We'll start with one that we all know exists, but we never think about. A sewer inspector. People give their lives to inspecting sewers. This is real. I promise you I did not make one ounce of this up. There is a career. Someone does this called an owl vomit collector. (laughs) That there is actually value in the substance of owl vomit. I know, that's astounding. A shark suit tester. How many of you are signing up for that job? (laughs) A shark suit tester. This is real stuff, y'all. And then my favorite, a pig shaver. There are people who call themselves a barber, but they really give haircuts to pigs. Like, this is a real job. There was an entire episode in Mike Rowe, Dirty Jobs, dedicated to someone who shaves pigs for a living. Now, this is cute and it's funny to think about, but work is one of the things that we give the most of our time to, and we very rarely take time to think about it from Scripture or theologically. How has the church thought about work? What does God say about work? And so there's... The, the bulk of my message this morning is going to be introduction, and then at the very end, we're going to talk about what Proverbs and Ecclesiastes actually say about how we should work. But because we speak about work so little, I feel like there's a lot of preliminary things that need to be said. One is we spend so much of our time talking uh, uh, doing work, so it needs to be talked about. Number two, there is a work crisis right now. And we in this church have a number of entrepreneurs and small business owners. And just this week, I had a meeting with two of them to talk about men's retreat. And Mike and Jeff were both telling me just how in the the tradesman world, how hard it is to find good help right now. Because people are receiving such great benefits for not working that there's very little incentive to work. And then lastly, I think that we have to talk about work seriously because culture teaches us that work is done primarily for the paycheck. So what are the repercussions of that? As soon as you have enough money to not work, give it up. Quit working. But that's not what God's plan for us is, and that is certainly not what God's plan for working and cultivating the earth is. So I have three things that I hope to do with this message. You don't, you don't need to write them down. They're all encouraging. Number one is I want to dignify your work. There are a number of jobs that are thankless, that are unseen, that have very little either material or substantial or substantive reward. My wife reminds me all the time, her vocation right now is raising our two toddlers. And she worked before we had kids. She has plenty of skills, could do a number of things. But she feels so strongly called to parent our kids full-time. And you know how much thanks she gets? As much as I give her. <laughs> that's, that's how much. And all of the moms and stay-at-home dads in the room know exactly what I'm talking about. Those of you who work desk jobs that 
process paper or process payments or build databases or work in the production world who are only noticed when things go wrong. There are all kinds of jobs that are unseen and thankless. And I want you to know this morning that God sees. And I, and I don't say that in a way that creates fear like, well, God sees, so don't slack. No, but in those moments when you think this is useless, God sees. God sees. God sees your diligence. God sees your faithfulness. God sees that you have chosen to give a substantial amount of time to things that the world will never know are even happening. Number two, I want to challenge you to work faithfully unto God. And I don't mean work faithfully like I just mentioned because something bad will happen if you don't. But work faithfully because you know that God has given us work as a gift and that there is something inherent with, within doing a job well that God delights in. God delights in you as you work meaningfully or meaninglessly. It doesn't change how God views you and it doesn't change how God delights in the things that you have chosen to give your time to. And then number three, lastly, I hope today that this message will encourage you to trust and rest. Trust and rest. Because God is at work in your work. And if you hear nothing else today, hear that you are more than what you produce, that you are more than the quantity that is assigned to your paycheck or your hourly rate, your billable rate, that your value has nothing to do with what you can produce and that God sees you and he delights, period. And as we work, we can delight because we know it doesn't end with us, that there is delight all around, that there is, and you may not be feeling delight in your job right now, and we're going to talk about that, but I want you to know that it is possible for you to work from a place of rest, from a place of Sabbath in your heart. You know, Mike and Sidron, I believe last week in our panel about money, talked a little bit about Sabbath, and I'm not going to talk about it a bunch today because we've preached on Sabbath extensively over the last three or four years. But part of what it is to be a believer is to be carrying Sabbath rest in you all the time with everything that you do. This is why Jesus can say in the Gospels that he is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus isn't saying the rules don't apply to me. Jesus is saying I am Sabbath rest. And no matter what I do, I carry the rest, the peacefulness, the delight of God into every situation that I am in. And as believers, we carry the rest and the delight and the peace of God into every traumatic situation, every tragic situation, every situation that looks like with our work, there is no easy way out. And the good news is today that God is at work in your work and in your rest. So those are the three things I want to encourage you with. Then I, I found, and I, I often do this as I'm, ready to, as I'm preparing to preach, that there are pitfalls or distractions or things that work is not. And number one, work does not define your identity or value. And I mentioned this just a moment ago, but I think we, we know this on one level, 
but on the feelings level and on how we actually live, it's really hard to separate our intrinsic value, the fact that we are valuable if we never produced another thing the rest of our lives from what our paycheck looks like. And it's because of our language. We talk about our value here in the church and with God, and then we also, at work, we see a dollar amount signed, assigned, excuse me, to our time. And it's hard to not conflate the two. It's really hard to keep our hearts in a healthy place from constantly wanting to push that number higher and constantly wanting to do more and earn more because we feel more valuable to the people around us. But we have to hear today that our work does not define our identity or your value. Number two, work is not a result of the fall. I know that some of you just had a letdown moment in your heart. (laughs) Some of you were just let down. And and if you were, I'm sorry to say, but you're going to be really let down with the next one. But let's look at Genesis 128 here. I have it on my sheet, but I only have half the verse. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. There's a little bit of work involved in that, but mostly that's delight. And fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, see, I have given you every plant yielding seed. I don't think I gave them this verse, but I want to keep reading. That is upon the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And then he goes on and he talks about the birds of the air and the animals on the ground. Before the fall, God gave the command to steward all that he had given to mankind as gift. That work is part of what it is to be made in the image of God is to be one who works and cultivates and works for specifically the flourishing of all creation. That work is not a result of the fall. Creation is a gift, so work it. The fall corrupted the earth and therefore made our work difficult and toilsome. But work was a blessed gift before it was toilsome and before it was difficult. Number three, this is the most difficult one. Work will not end in the eschaton. So that's the theological way of saying it. And then for the layman's way of saying it, there is no retirement in the afterlife. Now let me parse this out for a minute. Let's look at uh, Isaiah 65. We're going to read verses 21 and 22. He's talking about the glorious new creation in the book of Isaiah here toward the end and says, They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another person inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. Oh, that's cute. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. So there is coming a day when right right now, God is at work. God has always been at work. God is working and God will always be at work. But that work looks different. Right now, God's work looks like sustaining and redeeming and restoring. That every time we mess something up, God is immediately at work in the rubble, bringing new life, beauty from ashes, life from death. But in the end, there will be a moment of transformation 
when all that is present is renewed, it is made new. Hence, we call what is coming the new heavens and the new earth. And in that time, our work will not stop, but it will be transformed. And our work will be restful, it will be fulfilling, it will be joyous, and it will be creative. Think about what you would do if you had endless resources and endless energy and endless opportunity. What is that that you would do? And exponentially multiply that, and that's what it will be like. Heaven is not some stagnant playing around on clouds. It's not uh, permanent inactivity. Heaven is if, if there were no boundaries on opportunity, if there were no boundaries on your energy, and there were no boundaries on your resource, what would you create? How would you live? What would you do with your life? Work does not end in the eschaton. And I told you that was difficult, but hopefully now that I've parsed that out, that's exciting. My hope is that we can learn to be excited about our work because of what God is doing in our work. And then lastly, work is not in competition with our ministry or our spiritual lives. This is one that I think is very, very important, particularly in the charismatic world. There is this story in, what is it, Luke 10? Yeah, Luke 10. The story of Mary and Martha. And for those who are not familiar, Jesus and the disciples have been ministering, and they retreat back into the home of Martha. Well, actually, I want to read this because there's a few nuances. Guys, I'm winging it here. Here we go. Hopefully I can read these verses. Let's wing it. Luke chapter 10, if you guys want to follow along, I'm going to read 38 through, 30, through 42. 38 through 42, real short. It says, Now as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, so she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? If you have kids, does this not sound familiar? My, mine don't ask that yet. They're three and one. But in two or three years, I can just, I can hear this. This is coming. Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. And as Aaron said a few minutes ago, anytime anything is repeated in scripture, it is putting the emphasis on the right syllable. It is saying, Martha, Martha, getting her attention. You are worried and distracted by many things, but there is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. Now, we've heard this passage. If you've been in church longer than a year, you've likely heard this passage preached on. But I think sometimes we are prone to taking the wrong message from this chapter and, and, or this story, and we end up pitting the pragmatic things of life, which in this case looks like hospitality, against the intimate spiritual things of life. And I think when we do that, we miss the point. If everything that I've said up to this point is true, which... You may disagree, but I believe is true. I believe that work is a gift. I believe that work is blessed. I believe work is part of what it is and what it means to be like God and made in his image. Then we can't pit doing things for other people for being with God. And 
here's the word of, of encouragement here. It is the word discernment. We cannot pick and choose a life of being like Mary over a life of being like Martha. Being a Christian requires that we learn the skill and the intuition of discernment, knowing when to be like Mary and when to be like Martha. And here's the key, without getting jealous or upset with those who are not like you. That's the key. The key, we don't get to pick and choose. Well, I just have certain gifts, so I'm going to live like Martha. I'm great at hospitality, but I'm not called to pray. No, yes, you are called to pray. And and even more prevalent, the, the opposite of that is wrong. That I'm called to pray, therefore I'm not called to do anything. Both of those are false dichotomies that keep us from the hard work of living in the tension of discerning what is God calling me to and what is needed? What is needed in the lives of the people around me? What is needed for my own soul right now? So work is not in competition with your ministry or spiritual life. Okay, so if all of this is true, how can we discover our calling? Frederick Buechner, a famous author and lay theologian, has a famous statement that likely you have heard. And it goes like this. The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. So it's the overlap of three things. Something you can do, something that fulfills you, and something that provides something beneficial. Sorry, I read that wrong. And provides something beneficial for the flourishing of the world. And that overlap is what I would just call the sweet spot. It's the sweet spot for each and every one of us. And finding that is increasingly difficult. I mean, I just read to you some really obscure jobs. There are infinitely more jobs being worked in the world now than there just were 50 years ago with the increase of technology and development. There are I mean, if you could think up the weirdest job ever, it's probably being done somewhere. So how can we learn to find this sweet spot? Well, I think that there are at least four layers to our calling, and I don't think I'm overcomplicating this. And I want you to think about this like a funnel. We're going to start at the top, and we're going to work our way down. And the top is our purpose. And that is our general purpose as human beings. What is that? Well, that is to share God's abundant and eternal love and delight. Remember, God did not create out of need. God has no need. If God has need, he could be manipulated. And God cannot be manipulated, therefore God has no need. So God created out of sheer delight, out of an abundance of delight in the communion of the Trinity. And I'm sorry if that sounds like a bunch of theological jargon, But you need to know that God did not create any of us for functional purposes. That God delights in our very existence. The next layer down is our human vocation. So if the first is our purpose, like why are we here? The second is, well, what are we called to do generally speaking? Humanity. To look after creation and to work as God's co-laborers in his redemptive work to look after creation and be co-laborers with God in his redemptive work. 
Okay, so now what makes you different from the person next to you? Let's go one step down on the funnel. Specific vocations. We have our purpose. Why are we here? Why do we exist? Next, what are we called to do? What's our mission? Number three, our specific vocation. Here it is. How your unique giftings, personality, and experiences find expression in fulfilling the general vocation. Okay? So how your giftings, your experiences, and what makes you unique, your personality, finds expression as we work together as God's co-laborers in redeeming the world. That's your specific vocation. And now, lastly, at the bottom of the funnel, our actual job, our occupation. This is what we do with our time and resources to contribute to the flourishing of the world. What we actually are doing. So now here, let's visually, in a perfect world, what we are actually doing with our time is at the bottom point of this funnel. And there's perfect alignment all the way up. But some of you, I can read your minds. What you're thinking is, no, I'm actually way over here. <laughs> There's no fulfillment. I don't think it matches with my calling. I don't know if God's even pleased with what I'm doing. In a perfect world, there would be perfect overlap all the way up from the very bottom, from our job. Our job would be fulfilling our specific vocation. Our specific vocation is perfectly fulfilling the human vocation. And then we're all delighting all around because we're fulfilling our purpose. And I know that even if you are in your dream job, there are days and moments when you certainly don't feel it. Right? There are moments, there are tasks, that are, there are meetings where you're going, I don't know. I'm not so sure that God has me in this. I think it'd be a little easier if he did. There are things that you are created to do and called to do and equipped to do that you might never be paid for doing. That's the flip side. Sometimes our actual job and our actual vocation don't have an incredible amount of overlap with our specific vocation. There are people sitting right in front of me, you, who feel called to ministry, but you're not being paid for ministry. There are people who feel like uh, they are called to a certain field, but you're in school and you're having to work in a different field so that hopefully, eventually, you can work in that field. Work is a complicated thing and we live in a broken world. We should pray and ask God what he wants us to do, but God does not always give us clear and specific answers. And I think mostly it's not because God's holding out on us. I think it's mostly because there just aren't any. Sometimes there aren't very clear and specific answers when we're seeking, what should I do? Which job should I take? Sometimes there are. Sometimes in scripture, I've got a few examples here we're going to look at. Sometimes we see examples of God calling people to general occupations without giving them specific tasks. Sometimes we see God giving people specific tasks, but not calling them necessarily to any specific vocation. Let's look at a couple of these. One is Noah. God gives Noah the call and the task to build the ark. I don't think, I could be wrong, I don't think after Noah got off the ark, actually I know I'm not wrong because he became 
a farmer, a vineyard worker when he got off the ark, that Noah thought, I'm going to start a career and start building arks. That didn't, that didn't happen. God gave him a task that was apart from his quote-unquote career, his vocation. Then we see the flip side. We see Samuel, we see Jeremiah, we see Amos. They were called to be prophets. And at times, their, their lives looked like all kinds of different things. And they found themselves at the mercy of other people for their sustenance all the time. Read the prophets. Read about the life of Saul. Or once he became Paul, he became a tent maker. And then we see David, who was called to be king, but was for a really long time a shepherd and a soldier. Oftentimes, the things that God calls us to are on the other side of things we don't want to do. Oftentimes, the things that we are truly called to are on the other side of things we don't want to do. I know I'm young, but I know this to be true. I, I was going to be cute and have a, a picture for you today, but I didn't do that. My first job was working for my uncle who owns a, a fairly large landscaping company in central Florida. And typically when you work for family, there are two approaches. One is the, the nepotism approach where the family gets paid higher than everyone else and required to do less. Mine was not that. <laughs> Uh, then there is the approach where they're harder on you and they make you work harder because you're a family. And, and actually, in hindsight, I'm very grateful for that. I learned a lot. So in high school, I worked for my uncle in Central Florida, Tampa area. I would work for him in the summers and in the afternoons. Tampa's not the coolest place on the earth to be working landscaping. And I'll never forget the most difficult job I ever had was there are these plants called sago palms, S-A-G-O. You should look them up. Not right now. I'm preaching, guys. Come on. <laughs> sago palms, and they get a fungus that's called scale, and it's, they get covered in this white scale. And when that happens, you have two options, or you lose the plant. One, you spray them, and you wipe the scale off. These are palm plants, okay? Every end is prickly with little, not very strong poison that when they prick you, it gives you red bumps and welts all over your arms. Or you get into the root and you cut off branch by branch, every branch that had been touched by scale. Well, this was one of the tasks that was bestowed upon me for my development and the good of the flourishing of the plants in the nursery. I despised that job. And most of you are thinking about your version of the same thing right now. That stocking job, the night shift job, the thing, the job that would have been fine had you had a different boss, the job that would have been fine had you had a different office. We've all had jobs that were incredibly difficult, but most of the time in this life, there is nothing easy. There is no way to get at the things that God really has for us for the sake of our flourishing and the flourishing of the people around us without going through really difficult things. So now we've, we've talked about this funnel and we've talked about what we do when we don't know, but then here's some really practical things. Some, actually, where am I at? Ah, I want to say this too for all the young people. Not having clarity is not an excuse for doing nothing. 
I worked at a university, Aaron worked at the same university for almost seven years. And so often what would happen is students would graduate and they have a dream job in mind. And until that dream job comes around, they're not, they're not going to take anything because it feels like settling. And I can sympathize with that sentiment. I, I understand where that comes through. But I think all of us need to be told because so many of you, I know some of your stories, are in really difficult positions in your work life right now. That not having clarity, not having bliss, not having full delight all the time is not an excuse to do nothing. And it doesn't mean that God's not in it. So how are some ways that we can figure out our specific vocation? We know how to get a job. And we know that God delights in our existence, that he doesn't need us. But, but how do we find out what we are actually good at? A couple of things. One, what do you love? What are you passionate about? What are you good at? When people compliment you or encourage you, are there recurring themes in the things that they say? Every time you get up to speak, does somebody say something like, man, that really touched me? Or every time you're helping set up for an event, does someone come up to you and say, thank you for your service. This is beautiful. Look at the work that you've done. What do people say when they encourage you and when they give you uh, compliments? Another then is, look, the rubber meets the road. Can you actually make a living doing this? If the answer is no, it doesn't mean you're not called to it. It just mean, might mean that you have to become creative, that you have to find ways to make it profitable, that you have to work another kind of job so that you can fulfill your specific vocation. God has given us brilliant minds. And I think sometimes we settle short because we get an image of what we think we are supposed to do. And if it doesn't feel like it can make money, we just abdicate it altogether. And we just go do something else and say, I, I thought I was called to be a missionary. I tried that for six weeks. It didn't work out. Forget about it. <laughs> almost nothing on the mission field that's profitable is going to come out of six weeks. Not nothing, but almost nothing. Things in ministry take a long time. And I know that's true for many of your jobs. So when we're trying to discover our specific vocation, that how do these things that God has put inside of us come about for the flourishing of our lives and the lives of the other, it takes a good bit of discernment. But when we find a job or when we settle in a vocation, what does the wisdom literature reveal for our work? So that was all introduction. And here in about five minutes, we're going to spend on the meat of this. And I think, I think this is going to be really encouraging to you. So what does wisdom in the Bible with regards to our work look like? Number one, work diligently and plan for the future. There is nothing in the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes that more recurring is despised than a lazy person. You will not find anything on the negative side of the spectrum that is criticized in the book of Proverbs particularly than laziness. Verse after verse after verse. Matter of fact, we're going to read a few of them now. Proverbs 10, 26. Like vinegar to the teeth. That doesn't sound good. And smoke to the eyes. 
so are the lazy to their employers. And all the business owners said amen. amen. Chapter 12, verse 11, those who till their land will have plenty of food, but those who follow worthless pursuits have no sense. <laughs> I love how blunt the book of Proverbs is. And then we're going to read this last one for this point. Proverbs chapter 6, 6 through 11. Let me turn there and I'm going to read. 6 through 11. Go to the ant, you lazy bones. Consider its ways and be wise. Without having any chief or officer or ruler, it prepares its food in summer and gathers its sustenance in harvest. How long will you lie there, O lazy bones? We're going to start calling each other lazy bones after this. When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed warrior. Nothing in the book of Proverbs is despised as much you dis as much as the lazy person and one who does not consider their future. One who does not think about and prepare for their future, and not just their own future, but the future of their community. There's a way of being so diligent, but also being egocentric and self-centered. And that is not what scripture calls us to. Scripture calls us to always be thinking about future generations not just your future or just your own lineage, but to be thinking about what does my work and what it will leave behind mean for the people who come after me. And then number two, so work diligently and plan for the future. This is going to sound like a contradiction, but it's not a contradiction. It's the tension. Work with open hands. So work hard and plan as if it depends on you but also work with open hands. Be responsible until God calls you to be irresponsible. Just like the story of the rich young ruler, you may know this story, there's a young synagogue ruler who comes to Jesus having everything seemingly figured out, he's got wealth, and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him a few things to follow the law, and he says, ha, I've done that. And he's thinking, I've done that, that's how I've got all this stuff. And Jesus says, give it all away and come follow me. God wants us to be responsible, but we must know that the God that we serve will ask us to do things that look foolish to the world. They look irresponsible to the world. But in obeying God, we are actually being faithful to him. So point number one is don't be lazy and plan for the future. Point number two is, but don't hold on to those things or those ideas with closed fists. Hold on to them with open hands. A few uh, short verses here in Ecclesiastes. I want to read this from Ecclesiastes 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, 18 and 19. I hated all my toil, and some of you are saying amen, in which I had toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to those who come after me. And who knows whether they will be wise or foolish. Yet they will be master of all of which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. What is he saying here? He's saying there is a foolishness in working so hard for outcomes and for rewards 
when this life is short and we're going to leave those things to people who may not care at all about what we gave our lives to. And this is why we hold things with open hands and we trust in God and we rest in God because we work hard with the end in mind, but we also can't control very much. So we work hard and we live with open hands. And then lastly, and Aaron, if you would come in just a moment or anytime, anytime that you feel led by the spirit to come, work with delight and enjoyment. Work with delight and enjoyment. Ecclesiastes 2, a little bit uh, later in this same passage, there is nothing better for mortal, mortals than to eat and drink and find enjoyment in their toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. I'm going to skip ahead to verse 26. For to the one who pleases him, God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy. There is nothing better for mortals than to eat and drink and find enjoyment in their toil. It's a struggle. It's a struggle when you're cutting off branches from sago palms to find enjoyment in your struggle. This doesn't mean that every moment of the working life is going to be filled with joy unspeakable. But it does mean that hopefully we can look at our lives and find delight because we know that God is delighting in us as we work. I want to read one last passage from Ecclesiastes 5, and then we're going to come to the table. And we're going to remember that this life is not about what we can produce. Ecclesiastes 5, 18 through 20. At the end of it, this is what I have seen to be good. It is fitting to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of life that God gives to us. For this is our lot. Likewise, all to whom God gives wealth and possessions and whom he enables to enjoy them and to accept their lot and find enjoyment in the toil, this is the gift of God. This is the gift of God. To eat and drink, to party and have fun, but also to learn to find delight and enjoyment in the things that are so difficult. It doesn't mean being sadistic and things that are really bad acting as if they're good. No, no, no. That's not what it means. It means learning to trust and rest that in even our worst days at work, God is acting in ways that are profoundly deeper and go profoundly further than our work ever could. And my prayer for you today is that as we come to the table, we will be reminded that this whole thing is not about functionality. It's not about transactions. It's about delight. It's about God giving of God's self for our sake. And everything that we return to God was first a gift from him to us. And our work is really not about what we can produce. It's about living in ways that acknowledge the gifts of God in our lives for the sake of the people around us. Can we learn to do menial jobs and things that no one will see that are ultimately for their good in ways that reflect God's delight back to him and reflect it, refract it back to the world? 
Stand with me. Let's prepare our hearts to come to the table. Uh, Our protocol is to enter out of the left side of your rows to come and receive these elements. Go back to your seat on the right side and we will partake together in just a moment. Come to the table of the Lord, a gift for you and for me. Church, my closing words of this message are the same as they were two weeks ago, or maybe it was last week. God's faithfulness is not contingent upon your faithfulness. We have all at times or seasons or maybe only just brief moments not given our best. We've all had moments or seasons of laziness, of looking at our work in ways that are anything but delight or enjoyment. And God knows. He knows how difficult it is. But he's proud of you nonetheless. God God is not wishing he had created someone different when he looks at you. God God is not looking at you thinking, oh, I should have given them more gifts, Poor, poor child. God doesn't look at you that way. God is proud of who you are and you are more than what you produce. You are not a function to God. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread, he blessed it, and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Church, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Take and eat the nourishment for your soul and your body. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this is the cup in the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us receive of the blood of Christ shed for the remission of sins for you and for me. Lord, we thank you that our relationship to you is not contingent upon our gifts, our experiences, what happens to us or how we happen to the world. But it is all based on gift, that you are a God who has no need and therefore we can worship you freely. And we thank you for the gift of communion where we are reminded of the ultimate gift, Jesus Christ, whose life was laid down to stop the cycles of brokenness and vengeance and violence in the world. And we this morning want to take up our cross once again and follow Jesus. Church, go knowing that God delights in you if you never do another thing for him, 
or if you make a dozen mistakes this week at work, God still delights in you. Go in the peace of Christ, being witnesses to his love and goodness to the world around you. Amen. Go in peace. But let me give you a couple announcements. I wasn't going to sandwich announcements in that moment. It just felt a little odd. So now that you can go in peace, go in peace knowing a few things are coming up. Number one, men's retreat is coming up September 17th and 18th. Registration is live. There is also a family talk. I believe it is August 29th. If you consider yourself a member of New Life Midtown, family talk is for you. Guys, please register. It's going to be 4 to 5.30. We need numbers for child care and also food. So we will have family talk and then we will have food at the end. And then lastly, all of the things happening here at New Life Midtown can be found on our events page. The easiest way to our events page is to find one of the QR codes around the building. They're in the restrooms, they're on top of the hand sanitizer stations, and they're on some of the walls uh, back in that section. So if you just pull up on the QR code, it'll take you right to our events page. Okay, it was good to be with you this morning. Now truly go in the peace of Christ and be witnesses to the world that you inhabit.